Our first reading comes from Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Here ends the reading. The Holy Gospel, according to St. Matthew, the 28th chapter. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers in Christ. Just uh, two weeks ago, I mentioned how most Christians can name what the ascension is, but maybe not say why it matters. And I could have probably said the same thing last week about Pentecost, that at least most Christians over time could not give much of an answer as to why it matters either. And here we are with our third special Sunday in a row, Trinity Sunday, and I know I could say the same thing today. God is the Trinity. The Trinity is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And beyond that, most of us would not have much to say. Now, that's fine. And we'll circle back to why it's fine near the end here. But despite the fact that it's fine, I have most years tried to give you something you could say if you were asked or just wanted to talk about it. So one year, we looked at all the things the Trinity is not. Bad metaphors that sometimes get used that really shouldn't. God is not like an egg composed of three parts, white, yolk, and shell. And God is not like water that changes between different phases, ice, liquid, vapor. And God does not merely take on different roles at different times or appear different like you might when you're acting as a parent versus employee versus volunteer. Another year, we looked at how divided our human minds are, pulled in at least three different directions at all times, despite being one person. And yet God is three persons in perfect unity and cooperation. This serves as a stark reminder about how different we are from God. 
Today, however, we're going to flip that script and instead look at the ways in which we are like God. We are, after all, as it says right there in the first chapter of the first book, made in the image of God. Let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness. You know, every culture everywhere has seen that there is some sort of dividing line between us and the animals, and yet we have historically struggled to answer why. Now, we do all the same sorts of things animals do. We're just embarrassed about some of those things. Some of us are, anyway. (laughs) Some less so. Most cultures have given the reason in spiritual or religious terms, something like we are closer to the divine than the animals. But that just invites another question. How? Well, we have a few possibilities. We may be the only creatures that consider ourselves. We think about our past, our future. We consider our identity, our purpose, where we fit in. We have an internal story about ourselves. We may be the only creatures that ask questions, as in expressing curiosity beyond that which is immediately in front of us. We are the only creatures that tell stories. We gossip about each other, and we find our identity in the stories we share in common, our cultural stories, our religious stories. Those ideas together allow us to be the only creatures that make and keep promises. We used to say that we're the only creatures that use tools, but that isn't exactly right, because, for example, apes will break a branch down to a twig and use it to lure termites out of their nests. However, we are the only creatures who use tools to make other tools. Something similar could be said about love. All sorts of creatures bond and appear to express affection in a, in a similar way that we probably call love. Our cats and our dogs love us, hopefully. Humans may, however, be unique in that love is such a pervasive motivation and source of grief that it appears to be necessary to experience some loving connections in order to have a healthy, functioning life as a human. We may not be able to say that about any other creatures. But you don't have to consider the divine to figure out all those answers, right? So what if we backed up a bit? Well, it turns out that these claims, which can be made on a purely scientific observational basis, only support what we've known for some time already. When Genesis says we are made in the image of God, it immediately invites the question, what is it about God that is also true of us? And that would answer all those questions, right? What sets humans apart? What makes us closer to the divine? Why are we not quite like the animals? Well, that list of things we might share in common with God, it turns out that list is awful close to the list of examples that set us apart. We are creative. We invent things that were not there before. And we arrange, arrange or rearrange what is there to produce novelty, beauty, tools, food, and more. We are, as Genesis declared, part of this creation that is, at its foundation, good. Yes, sin corrupts, and there's also evil in the human heart, but we can sense within ourselves, and hopefully in each other, an idyllic 
seed, something pure and holy that points to or fundamentally is what we are meant to be. God is love and we are capable of compassion. We can and do set aside our self-interest for the sake of others. God forms relationships and with them stories. God tells stories about relationships God has had with others, prophets and patriarchs, for example, a sort of holy gossip that reveals God to us. And it's right in there somewhere that we find our connection to Trinity Sunday and how we are set apart. The Trinity, three persons in one God, is inherently, eternally, at the core, relational. God lives in relationship and seeks relationship. God desires a genuine relationship with other free agents. Free agents as in free will, because a genuine relationship cannot be compelled, but must be freely chosen. When we do our human sort of creation, we can, we can form a connection of sorts to the objects we form, right? We can call it good and get emotionally invested and want to keep the thing around. And yet the love of a painting, a car, a craft beer, no matter how deep that affection is, if we can call it that, it will never be the same as the sort of mutual love that exists within a free, genuine relationship. God, being a free agent, living in genuine relationship, created us in God's image so that we could and would do the same. Because though God is creative and loves that which is good and beautiful, God also desires this particular sort of relationship. So all of creation can exist to be this good thing, to bring beauty about, to be admired. But to have this kind of relationship, we need something like each other. And maybe God doesn't need us, but God desires such a relationship. So here we are. Hence, we consider ourselves, our past, our futures, our stories. We gossip and find shared values, and we are motivated to love in a way that is unique among God's creatures. So what does that mean for us here today? This connection between God and eternity to how we are here on earth? Well, it means a few things. Like I said up top, it gives you something to say if anyone ever, by chance, asks your opinion on the Trinity. This is, after all, a doctrine which sets ecumenical Christianity apart from basically every other religious persuasion. People wonder why we believe what we believe, and the reality of the Trinity explains why we are here. A singularity, a single person existing for eternity, for an infinite amount of time, without any sort of relationship, could not be said to be consistent and seek out a relationship. A triune God, however, which has always lived in relationship and always desired relationship, well, that God, our God, creating something else to have a relationship with is consistent with the nature of God as revealed to us. Okay, so you could say that. Next, it tells us a little something about us what you were created to be, the sort of authentic self beneath all the sin and stress and difficulties of day-to-day -day life. That person is creative, storytelling, compassionate, 
seeks relationship and reciprocates within those relationships. We all have those characteristics within ourselves. And while there are plenty of other characteristics that make you unique, that make you you, it is safe to say that when you lean into those qualities, the things that make you the image of God, into your creativity, your compassion, you, you are also leaning into your authentic self, what you were made to be. Perhaps this is what Jesus meant when he said, disciples in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That in our discipleship, we are authentic to that which makes us the image of God. It's no coincidence that people who do that, who lean into their compassion and creativity, are the most content. They are the most happy and the most at peace with their circumstances. It does not end with how we consider ourselves and how we relate to others, though an echo of eternity is imprinted upon our nature as the image of God as well. We are made to desire a relationship with God and to seek a relationship like that within the Godhead between the three persons of the Trinity. And that kind of relationship is eternal and sinless and of shared purpose and value and motivation and so on. We can recognize the similarities between such a relationship and those we share with our fellow humans, or to some degree, the relationship we have with our animals, right? We can have a relationship which, if it's healthy enough, it works well enough, it's good enough, maybe you share almost all the same motivations. But even then, at the end of the day, those relationships, the ones here on earth, are temporal. They're temporary. So we seek a relationship like that within the Godhead, one which is eternal, and therefore we seek God. Lastly, circling back up top yet again, I said we'd revisit why it's okay if you don't have anything to say when someone asks you about the Trinity or anything else. And the answer is something like how those scientists nowadays can point to what makes humans unique and it just so happens to point to what was revealed about us thousands of years ago by mystics and prophets and scripture alike. If you've lived it for yourself, you already knew the answer. In the courtroom, two distinct sorts of witnesses might be called to testify. A lay witness can be called to say what they heard, what they saw, and how they remember things. They don't have to know much else. They just have to have lived through the important event and be willing to share their story about it. An expert witness can be called to explain the factors, the phenomena behind the event. They don't so much answer what happened as maybe why would this happen. For the expert, it's not enough to have lived it. In fact, they may not have but to instead have taken the time, extensive time, and, you know, to study, to understand a, a very particular niche, some tiny corner of human knowledge. As one who trusts in Christ with the Holy Spirit, loved by the Father, you do not need to become an expert on any of that. Instead, you are called like the first. You're called to live through it and then share your story. Doubtless, you've experienced it. You've felt the sting of grief, the joy of love. You've gossiped. You've been the victim of it. You've created what you consider failure, and 
You've created something to cherish. You have experienced times of contentment and discontent. With a little looking inside yourself, you likely discovered, or you can now, the same template from which we were all made. The image of a God who is creative, loving, and relational, and more. Maybe you slip up and you say, God has three parts, even though I keep saying it's three persons, not three parts. <laughs> but that's fine. Just live into that relationship. Consider yourself and tell the story. Our need of one another, our need of love, our need for God are self-evident when observed. We know God through Jesus Christ who died for our sake and the Holy Spirit reminds us of it every day. Each person seeking and fostering a relationship with humanity, with us, with you. And every day, that story of God seeking us just for the sake of love, that story is enough. You don't need to know any more than that. Amen.